0: Hi, my name is Levi Friesen. I serve at Northview as a pastoral intern, primarily at our Central Abbotsford campus. Uh, But I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you today uh, on the Northview TV recording. So I'm very excited. Uh, We're going to be in 2 Peter 1, looking at verses 16 to 21. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can begin to turn there as we get started. Uh, We all have questions that we want answered in particular ways. And we know that there are certain people, certain sources that we can go to where we know we will get the answer to our question that we are looking for. Uh, Growing up, my my parents were very careful to make sure that my siblings and I didn't spend all day playing video games once we got them when we were a little bit older. Uh, So they would put pretty clear time limits on how long we could play these games for, but I knew Uh, that if I was getting close to the end of a level or close to the end of a a game, if I was playing a football or soccer video game, uh, that if I knew I needed to ask for just a few extra minutes that going to one of my parents would likely give me the result that I was looking for. Because for whatever reason, uh, they were a little bit more lenient. I'm not gonna say which parent, mom or dad, uh, but they were just a little bit more lenient about breaking the boundaries a little bit, giving me a few extra minutes to complete the level where the other one was just a little bit more clear uh, on, we set these time limits for a reason, and so it's good that we stick to the time limits because it teaches us the proper place that video games ought to have in our lives. But I knew if I went to one of them, I was more likely to get the answer that I was looking for. Uh, If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know that you will get certain questions posed to you by kids and grandkids because you are the one who they think is gonna give them the answer they're looking for. And while in children, this is not really... Uh, it's it's kind of cute when kids do it, right? We, we know what they're doing and we can see right through it and we know exactly why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, but this is a pattern that continues on for the rest of our lives. Uh, maybe, maybe you have been in a difficult situation where you have done something wrong and now there are ramifications that you might have to deal with depending on if, if you need to be honest or not. And the thought runs through your head of, of which friend should I go to for advice In this situation. And quite frankly, it's more tempting to go to the friend who who isn't going to say that you need to own up to these things, that you need to take ownership of the, the error, the mistake, the wrong thing that you've done. And it's tempting to go to the friend who we know is a little more relaxed with things, who's gonna say to us what we want to hear. Honestly, for many of us, this is also the way that we approach the Scriptures. Uh, We have situations that we're in. We we have things in our lives where, where we're asking questions, where we want to hear what it is that the Bible has to say. But in lots of cases, we know that certain parts of the scriptures are going to say things that we like to hear more than other parts of the scriptures. We all have our favorite passages, our favorite authors, our favorite books, our favorite sections of the Bible that tell us things we love to hear. Maybe they're encouragement for you. Maybe maybe you love the poetry. uh, Maybe you love the stories of Jesus' mercy and compassion. But we are also equally aware that there are parts of the scriptures which say things that are very hard for us to hear. Passages that talk about the, the judgment of God on sin. Passages that tell us we should expect to experience suffering. Passages that tell us about what we ought to do with our money. There are lots of pieces of the Bible that say things that are hard for us to hear. And the temptation that you and I face over and over again is to only turn to the parts of the Bible who will say what we do want to hear. But as we are in 2 Peter, uh, what, what we are reading in the letter of 2 Peter is ultimately Peter's dying words to a number of churches. He is an old man. He knows he's about to go and die soon. And so in this letter, which is intended to be passed around to a number of churches, he he is explaining what the church needs to know to continue on for the rest of their Christian lives. What what are the things they need to know as they are about to face suffering, as they're going to encounter false teaching? What what is it that they need to know? What is it that they need to hear as they hope to keep following after Jesus? Jesus. And what Peter is going to, what Peter is going to tell them to do, where he is going to tell them to turn, is to turn to the whole scriptures, to the, all the Bible. And he's going to tell them that they need the whole Bible for the whole Christian life. That they need the whole Bible for the whole Christian life. So as we look at 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21, we're going to move through the chap, the, the passage that we're in in three sections. Uh, First, we're going to see how the whole Bible is about Jesus. We're going to see how the whole Bible is a lamp. I'll explain that when we get there. And we're going to see how the whole Bible is from God. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is a lamp. And the whole Bible is from God. So first, I'll read verses 16 to the first part of verse 19, as we look at how the whole Bible is about Jesus. So starting in 2 Peter 1, verse 16. Confirmed. So as Peter is going to get into this argument, why why these churches need to continue to turn to the whole Bible for their whole Christian lives, he begins by recounting an experience that he had of Jesus. And if you've read much of the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, this story is likely one you've heard before, and it's frequently known as the Transfiguration. So I'll give a a brief recap of what Peter gives here. Uh, This is a short summary. There are longer versions in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Mark 9, 28 contains a similar account to this one. But basically what happened is Jesus took three of his disciples up a high mountain. And when they had climbed the mountain, Jesus' clothes turned blindingly white. They they radiated the glory of God. And it was a, a sight that blew away these disciples. They were terrified. They did not know how to respond to what was happening. And then appeared with them Moses and Elijah, two really significant figures from the life of the Jewish people, the people that Jesus and Peter and James and John who were there all belonged to. And as they're there with Jesus glowing white with Moses and Elijah, they hear this voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father saying, Jesus is my son and I'm pleased with him, listen to him. And then uh, Moses and Elijah disappear, Jesus is closed, stop glowing white, They come down from the mountain, and Jesus tells his disciples not to tell anyone about what it is that they have just seen as of yet. So so Peter, in his letter, is returning to this situation. He, He was reminding his readers of this experience that he had of Jesus, wherein what is really important about the transfiguration is that Jesus was affirmed as being the Son of God. So Peter up on that mountain, his main takeaway is that Jesus is the Son of God. And he returns to that in this letter. And at this point, we should be asking the question, why is Peter returning to this story of the transfiguration at this point? How does it it help the argument that he is trying to make? And I want want you to read again the first part of verse 19. So after retelling the story of the transfiguration, here is the conclusion that Peter arrives at. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed so he goes from this story about jesus transfigured on the mountain to say we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed and what he means by prophetic word is the the whole of what we call the old testament which for the jewish people was all of their bible at that time peter peter says that because of this experience of seeing jesus affirmed as the son of god the old testament is more fully confirmed And at a plain reading, you you and I are prone to misunderstand, at first, what it is that Peter means by that. Because what it sounds like to us is that Peter is saying that the transfiguration, my experience of Jesus, is the more authoritative thing. And it's because of that authoritative experience that then I can now trust the Old Testament. And the reason that you and I think that is because we tend to elevate personal experience over and above a passed down tradition or teaching. Uh, When I was young, growing up, I would help my dad with a lot of the the woodworking projects he would do. And as I helped him, he would tell me uh, things that you need to know when you're doing these kinds of projects. Uh, One really important one was when you're cutting with a saw, you need to make sure your other hand is not in the path that the saw is going to cut uh, for obvious reasons. You don't want to lose a finger. You don't want to gash your hand. That was a clear lesson, he taught very well, very clearly to me, but over the coming years, there were many times at which I decided I didn't actually need to heed that teaching. Uh, I was in maybe less than ideal situations, I didn't have a great work surface to secure the branch that I was cutting on, so I would hold it really close to where I was cutting with the saw. And I knew the teaching, but it it wasn't really significant for me at that point, uh, until the day that I was holding a branch that was pretty flimsy, trying to cut it with the saw, and the saw slipped, and I cut open my hand. At that point, my dad's teaching became very clear to me. It became very obvious why it was the teaching that I need to follow, but ultimately, it was only clear and obviously what I needed to follow because of this experience that I had just had, because you and I tend to elevate experience as more authoritative than teaching or tradition. So we hear Peter explaining this experience of seeing Jesus transfigured and think that because of this experience, all of a sudden the Old Testament is more authoritative now, relying on that experience. But that isn't the way that Peter's audience would have thought. They, they weren't like you and I in that way. In fact, people, people were so committed to their Old Testament and the way that they understood their Old Testament that, that when Jesus showed up, And and he fulfilled their Old Testament, this prophetic word, in a way that they didn't expect. They they didn't say, we need to reject the Old Testament and cling to Jesus instead. What they said was, well, we're, we're not going to reject our Old Testament because we know that is the prophetic word from God. And instead, we're going to reject Jesus. We're going to say that he is not the Savior because he doesn't seem to be doing what the Old Testament says we should expect the Savior to do. So they already saw their Old Testament as as very authoritative. They saw the teachings and the traditions as the thing they need to follow. But what Peter is saying is that at the transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah were there, that this voice from heaven which says Jesus is the Son of God means that not that Jesus replaces the Old Testament, not that Jesus gives authority to the Old Testament, but that Jesus and the apostles' understanding of who he is and what he had come to do became the authoritative interpretation of the Old Testament. Peter's eyewitness account of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, the other writers of the New Testament, these ones who who spoke about how they saw Jesus as being the fulfillment of what was anticipated in the Old Testament. The transfiguration experience verifies their interpretation saying that they are correct in saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament that he is the one that the Old Testament anticipated and pointed ahead to and in fact that the at the end of this letter Peter is going to specifically talk about Paul's interpretation of how Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament and he's gonna elevate its authority to be just like that of the Old Testament scriptures. He's gonna say there are some things in them, referring to Paul's letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. So, so Jesus' transfiguration doesn't add authority to the Old Testament, it already has authority. And the New Testament, Peter, Paul's interpretation of Jesus as being the fulfillment of the Old Testament is also authoritative. The whole Bible is authoritative for all of the Christian life because it's all about Jesus. Uh, This has significant implications for how you and I read our Bibles. Uh, we, We tend to think that the Old Testament replaces the New Testament because there's lots of clear teaching in the New Testament And there's lots of really difficult stuff for us to understand in the Old Testament. And and we seem to think that, that what happens is when Jesus shows up, we don't need anything that was before him. And we don't even really need anything that was after him because those are just people who are trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. We just need Jesus. But what Peter is saying here is that you need your Old Testament because your Old Testament teaches you what to expect when Jesus arrives. It shows you what it is that Jesus was intending to fulfill when he got here. It truly reveals the character of God that you also see in Christ. But you also need your whole New Testament. Because in your whole New Testament, you have the authoritative, authoritative interpretation of what Jesus did when he was here. Neither are speculation. Neither are empty rules and empty teaching. They are all about Jesus. So so perhaps the more direct implication of why you need the whole Bible for all of your life is because it's all about Jesus, and Christians never outgrow Jesus. There there is no point at which you, you realize or you grow in your spiritual maturity to the point where you begin to think, I never needed a sacrifice for my sins. I never needed Jesus to come and die and take upon himself the penalty that my sin earned. As you mature as a Christian, in fact, what you realize is how much greater that gift was because you realize how much greater your sin was. You you never outgrow the need for a savior. And you also realize that you, you never outgrow your need for what Jesus is presently doing, interceding for you in the throne room of God the Father, praying for you on your behalf. As you grow as a Christian, you you don't ever begin to think, oh, I need less of Jesus' help in my day-to-day life, because you are just growing all the more thankful for the help that he does offer you in an ongoing and real and supportive sense. So you need the whole Bible for your whole Christian life because you need Jesus for your whole Christian life. And the whole Bible is all about Jesus. So Peter is going to shift then. He he has talked about the content of the whole Bible, how it's all about Jesus. And then he's going to shift and he's going to talk now about the the role and the function that the whole Bible plays in the life of the church. And he's going to say that the whole Bible is a lamp. Let me read again verse 19. He says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you, you will do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So the the function that the whole Bible is going to play in the life of the church is that it's going to be like a lamp in a dark place. Uh, Lamps are really important, and we we shouldn't think of lamp as like a a floor lamp that sits and stays in the same place. Lamp likely means a small light that you carry with you. Think like a flashlight. they were to show people the good path forward and to help you see the missteps that you ought to avoid. Lamps play a really significant role in dark places. Uh, a few weeks ago, my, my father-in-law borrowed my wife and my car to drive over the over the cola uh, This is before all of the road problems that had happened there. Uh, we had put our winter tires on a little early this year. His car didn't have them on yet and he needed to make this trip. So, so he went and he came back and when he came back, we, we were curious. Uh, we, we hadn't taken our car on a snowy highway before, and he hadn't driven our car before. So we, we asked him, how, how was the drive? Did our car do okay? And he, he was like, well, y- yeah, I, I got there safely. I, I made my way back. Uh, but let me tell you, your headlights are so dim. As I was driving the, the snowy Coquihalla in the dark of the evening, I couldn't see more than a, a car's length or two in front of me. I couldn't see a thing. And so yeah, yeah, the car as a whole was fine. It, it handled well in the snow, the snow tires did their job. But because of your headlights, it, it was a really difficult drive at times. Because if you've driven on a snowy highway, if you've driven on a snowy highway in the dark, you know how important headlights are. They are of the utmost importance, and that is the role that the scriptures play for the church for the rest of our Christian lives. They are a light in a dark place. This is a really important role, obviously. This is a high and elevated talk about what the Bible is for the church. But you may have also noticed that at one point, Peter says the word until. The scriptures will play this role for you until a certain point. And the the point at which he says, that they will play this role up until is until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So, So whatever that means, when that happens, all of a sudden the scriptures don't need to play that lamp role any longer in the life of the Christian church. Why is that? Well, it's because when the morning star rises, we will no longer be living in the dark. We won't need the lamp because the light will be everywhere. And what Peter means by this morning star and by this day dawning is he's referring to biblical language from elsewhere in the scriptures. In Numbers 24, 17, there's a prophecy given about how this morning star, referring to one person, will rise out of Israel and will conquer Israel's enemies, will save them in their time of need. So this is the, a morning star is this person that had been anticipated since early on in the scriptures and in the very end of the scriptures, in Revelation twenty two sixteen, 16, Jesus claims to be that anticipated morning star. So what Peter is saying is that there is a point coming wherein you won't need the scriptures as a lamp anymore because Jesus will be here, because his light will fill the earth. You won't need a lamp anymore because you will have the sun. But until that point, as we continue to live in the dark... We very much are in need of a lamp. Uh, the, the scriptures then perform the same role that safety equipment does. When, when a child is learning to ride a bike, uh, when, when they first go out there, you might throw knee pads on them, a helmet. Uh, you'll put training wheels on their bike, and you'll realize as they're first starting, they rely on the, the training wheels and the rest of the safety equipment quite a bit. The wheels are always kind of bumping the ground to keep them on track. As they, as they fall, they rely on the elbow pads and the knee pads to protect their joints as they hit the ground and as they get better they begin to rely on those things less eventually you take you take the training wheels off the kid stops putting the safety equipment on the elbows and the knees because they're just not falling off their bike all that much But, but you and I know that we don't outgrow all of our safety equipment yet because we are never perfect cyclists You will always need to wear a helmet while you ride a bike. Everybody on the Tour de France still wears a helmet. Professional BMX bikers still wear helmets, even though that's what they do for a living. Because we still live in a time where where bike accidents happen, where you can fall off a bike, where someone can hit you. You're not impervious to the problems that safety equipment protects you from, yet. But what Peter is saying is that there will come a day where you are. And at that point, you won't need to wear the helmet anymore. You won't need the brakes on the bike any longer because Jesus will be here. You won't need the lamp when you have the sun. But we are not there yet. We do live in a time of darkness, and we don't have to look far into our world to see how that is the case. So the the question that I want us to ask then is, is, what kind of light is it that Scripture shines? What kind of a lamp is it? What is the bulb in the lamp? as it were. And the, the kind of light that scripture shines into the dark is the story of Jesus, the light of the world. See, if you start at the beginning of your Bible, what you're going to realize is is that uh, our world wasn't always a world of darkness, that God created the world, that he had good relationships, that everything was made perfect. He, he knew the people he had created well, and they loved and followed him, but very quickly, by by our sin and our rebellion against God, we plunged the world into darkness. But because God is so faithful to his creation, because he loves it so much, he, from the very beginning, had a plan to restore his light to the world. And the first way in which he did that was by the choosing of Israel to be his people. They were to be his light to the other nations to reflect him and his glory to those around them. But Israel failed to do that. And so God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the son of God came to be the light that Israel failed to be. Here's how John 1, 9 to 13 describes Jesus as the light of the world. The true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For all who have faith in Jesus, God will make them children of light, saving them from the realm of darkness. And those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, who have already been made children of the light, we await the day where God's restoration of the light will be made complete. We await the day, Scripture's language is, of the the full arrival of God's city, which is a city that has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its light is the Lamb, in Revelation 21, 23. See, that, that is the light that Scripture shines into our darkness. It's, it's a retelling of the story of of who God is and what he has done, what he is presently doing, and what he will bring to completion. Scripture is a lamp that shines the light of God into our world. Uh, one summer after middle school, a friend and I uh, went on a hike up a mountain near his place so that we could go watch a sunset. And the hike up was amazing, it was awesome. Uh, it's a, it was a pretty heavily treed area and we could see the evening light streaming in through the trees. You can hear the warm and quiet sounds of the wind. You, could, you can hear the peaceful nature sounds around you and you get up and you watch this sunset and it's a beautiful summer sunset. Uh, the, the only thing is that after the sunset, uh, the sun has set and it gets dark outside. And let me tell you, the, the hike that was so wonderful on the way up is a real nightmare in the dark. Because those trees, those tightly wooded areas you were walking through don't, don't seem cool and uh, warm and welcoming anymore. They seem kind of creepy, seem like there's lots of places for things to hide. The, the gentle, quiet sounds of nature, the, the leaves rustling and branches cracking, uh, make you think that maybe there's a predator following after me. In, in those moments, when you're hiking in the dark, where you can't see the root in front of you, let alone if there's an animal following you, you are so thankful for a flashlight because it clarifies all of the things in the dark that you don't know for sure, all of the things that you are unaware of. It, it points out what is true, that the crunching branch you heard was actually just your friend walking behind you and not something stalking you in the woods. In times of darkness, a light is of utmost importance. Uh, if we are truly in a time of darkness, why don't we turn to the scriptures in this way? What, what keeps us from going to the scriptures, which Peter are going to say, we, we need all of the scriptures for all of the Christian life. Why don't we go to the scriptures then? I think there's basically two reasons. Uh, w- one of which is that sometimes we don't actually believe we're living in the dark. And I think a primary reason for that is, is that many of our lives are quite comfortable. We have access to a lot of things that we, that we can get without even needing and we have access to a lot of luxuries that we can get relatively quickly and easily. And that, that comfort, that contentment that we feel sometimes with our stuff means that we can become complacent to living in the dark. And the, the Reality that we live in an urgent situation is lost on us. Because we're pretty comfortable. And that complacency can can lead us actually, instead of turning to the light, to allowing ourselves to slip into the dark. Do you believe that we live in a time of darkness? Do you believe that you actually need a light? I think the other reason that we don't turn to the light is because we think we can turn to other lights. We, we think that there are alternative life sources that will give us what we need when we're in the dark. We, we turn to the solution of human wisdom instead of turning to the scriptures for God's wisdom. And at one level, this is not an awful thing to do because God's common grace, the way that he provides good things for all kinds of people, people who love him and people who hate him, extends far into our world. There are lots of developments of human wisdom and human technology and human innovation that are really good for people. The problem is, is that we only know what is good for us when we evaluate it against God's wisdom. Because human wisdom, yes, it can be helpful, but it always needs to be subordinate to God's sure wisdom revealed in his word. Because human wisdom is fallible because humans are fallible. God's word is not because he is not. So to turn to human solutions when what we need are God's solutions will not be for us a very good light in the dark. We should remember the whole Bible because it is for us a lamp in a dark place. So to, to drive home this significance, after Peter has shown how the Bible is all about Jesus, after he has shown how it functions for us like a lamp in a dark place, Peter is going to finish by revealing the authoritative source of the Bible. He is going to tell us that the whole Bible is from God. And I read verses twenty and twenty-one as we look at that. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so Peter doesn't just want you to think that the Bible is cool stories about Jesus. Peter doesn't just want you to think that it's helpful in a dark place. He wants you to see that it is God's stories about Jesus, that it is God's help for you in your dark place because the whole Bible comes from God uh, Peter makes an appeal to the source of the Bible to confirm that authority uh, this is a, a common ploy ploy tactic in the advertising world today uh, where companies want you to to associate with their brand that they're a group that's at the forefront of their industry that, that what products they create and they put out are the very best products for you They are the things you should spend your money on. Uh, There are so many people who, if Apple put out a new phone and didn't say anything about the phone, but it like loosely looked like an iPhone still and still had the little Apple logo, they would get that phone, no questions asked, because Apple has cultivated an image as being right at the forefront of their industry, as being better than their competitors. They are the phone brand that you should turn to every, what, three months when you need a new phone. This is what Peter is doing here. He he is appealing to God. The God who who saves, the God who created the universe, the God who brings light into the darkness, that God is the one from whom the Bible comes. There are many today who don't think that this is the case, though. There there are many, especially regarding the Old Testament, who, who will say things like, yeah, yeah, God revealed himself in some sense to people in the Old Testament, but that's not actually what we have in the Old Testament. What we have in the Old Testament is people trying to understand God. So what's actually recorded on the pages oftentimes is people's misunderstandings of God. It's it's them getting God wrong. And people always got wrong, got God wrong, up until the point that Jesus came. So yes, it's it's fine if you wanna read your Old Testament But the way in which you need to do it is by by taking Jesus and separating him from anything in the Old Testament and applying him as a filter over the Old Testament to see which parts of it you can throw away and be done with and, and say these are evil or wrong or just irrelevant and which parts you then keep. But the Old Testament in and of itself isn't helpful for you. And Often some people will say the same thing of the New Testament and say that those people who came after Jesus They were just trying to figure out how to follow him And so there were times where they got it wrong and yes, it's in our Bible So we have to be very careful about how we read our New Testament as well Because it contains a lot of errors and mistakes and people who didn't get what was going on The problem is is that's not at all how Peter describes what we call the inspiration of process. The way by which God's message came to be in our scriptures. See, let let me return to some of the words that he says there. He says, uh, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. No, No prophecy was created because someone said, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write what I think about God. But what's the alternative? That men spoke from God. So they were speaking on behalf of God, and the process is very clearly described in the end of the sentence, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There is no uh, receiving from God and then human ingenuity to create these stories. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. God is innately involved in the whole writing process of the scriptures. All that is to say that there is no part of the scriptures that is less authoritative, less relevant, less inspired, less necessary for your life as a Christian. You need the whole Bible for your whole life because the whole Bible is from God. Uh, If you're driving down, if you live in Abbotsford here, you're driving down Clearbrook Road and you're late for an appointment and you you fly through a red light at Clearbrook and South Fraser Way and get pulled over by a police officer. And as he he walks up beside your car and knocks on your window, you roll the the window down and you say, officer, before you say anything, I know I ran the red light and I know what a red light means, but I have three reasons why it's totally fine that I ran the red light, why the red light didn't mean that I needed to stop. Uh, Number one, I'm running late. Number two, Jesus doesn't want me to be late. And number three, I was going so fast that no one could have possibly come and hit me anyways. Uh, how is that argument with the police officer going to go for you? It's not going to go well. And in fact, you might even get a bigger ticket than you would have if you were regretful or remorseful and and acknowledged the wrongdoing of your action. Because the reality is, is that what a red light means does not depend upon your circumstances because that's not how the red light laws were written. They were written to make people stop. That is the purpose that they have. That is what was intended by the source of those laws. And the source was never our experiences anyways, but the law was passed down to us as it is for us to obey. Having regard for the Bible means that regardless of your circumstances, you are going to seek to faithfully obey it. That you are going to look for ways wherein you can submit to it. And this means that you are not going to be able to pick and choose which parts of the Bible you do and do not want to follow. Because effectively what you're saying if you pick and choose is that God I know the Bible comes from you. That's what that's what the scriptures say that the the Bible is from you. And I know that you intended it for the life of your church. But I think that uh, your teaching on money is irrelevant and, and really shouldn't have been included. Or, or I think your teaching on sexuality and marriage is irrelevant and wrong and old-fashioned and shouldn't have been included. Or, or your teaching on how how we need to love our enemies just is not pragmatic for the world that we live in because you don't know my enemies. You don't know how much I do not want to love them. And we could go on and on with other things. In the scriptures wherein if we say i don't want to follow these things even though i know i come, they come from god we're at risk of self-idolatry of saying that i know better than god what he actually should have included in the scriptures i know what i need for my life better than the god of the universe so if we pick and choose what is in our Bible that we are actually gonna follow and we give reasons A, B, and C for why we are not going to follow what is in the scriptures, we need to be careful because we are putting ourselves in the place that only God should occupy. But if the whole Bible is from God, that also doesn't mean that if you've agreed with everything I've said to this point, that, that agreement or, or mental assent alone is enough. Because if you undo by your actions what you say you believe with your words, you actually prove that you didn't believe them in the first place. You can say that, yes, I believe that that the whole Bible is about Jesus and that I need Jesus. I believe that the Bible functions like a lamp in a dark place and I believe I live in a dark place. You can say that. I believe the Bible is from God, all of it. But if your life doesn't line up your obedience with that confession, you prove your words to be insincere and empty. See, see, you and I are prone to avoid the parts of scriptures that don't speak as we want them to speak. We, we return to the same passages which teach true things that we love over and over, but we avoid those parts of scripture which are hard for us. But but what we ought to do instead is turn to the scriptures with the expectation that God will speak from every passage in ways that are relevant for your whole Christian life. Because the Bible is all about Jesus, and we never outgrow our need for Jesus. Because the Bible functions as a lamp in a dark place, and we live in a dark place. And because the Bible is from God, it is what he intends for us to have to follow As we await the day where the light of the world is all over the world. You need the whole Bible. I need the whole Bible. We need the whole Bible for our whole Christian lives. Let me pray for us to that end. Uh, Father, you are good to us in many ways. And the, the primary way in which you are good to us is in how you provided Jesus the Savior of the world, who who bore the weight and penalty of our sin in our place and gives us eternal life with you. And Father, in your scriptures, we have what we need to know and follow him well. So Father, this year, draw us to your word. Help us to, to love what we read. Help us to obey what we read. And by that process, transform us into who you intend for us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name, by the Spirit's power. Amen.